We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready for the coziest Christmas ever? Get to Old Navy for up to 60% off everything. That's right. The entire store is on sale, including mix and match, jingle jammies, and festive prints for the whole family from 8 bucks, and adult sweaters from 12 bucks. But hurry, like the holidays, this deal won't last. Get up to 60% off the entire store today at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 12-11 to 12-17 excludes clearance, gift cards today only, two-day only deals, register lane items, jewelry, gift of the week, and Zip Zap stuff gifting bins. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, unmissable opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. That's our new tagline for episode 75, and with myself, Dan Hilton, and Frances Tomas. Frances, that's a lofty goal to say that we've got unmissable opinions, but fortunately for us, we have Deanna Christine with us today for La Ronda again, and I'd say she's more of one of those unmissable opinions. I'd say ours is just all right, Frances. I have to agree with you. Um, it's just because we got so many guests that um, they're very influential people and, you know, they come and share their opinions. Hopefully, we're getting there as well someday. But, um, you know, it's all about the, the guests. It's all about what the community brings. Um, the opinions does, don't just come from us, also from our listeners. So we thought that the tagline had to, in a way, encompass everything that the, the listeners, the community adds to our show. So, yes, we do have unmissable opinions and people, therefore, shouldn't miss them. In episode 75 of the Barcelona podcast, we've got Diana Christine coming as a guest in the second part of the show. But before that, we're going to break down La Gran Pregunta, which is how can Barca overcome the overdependence on Lionel Andres Messi? The Barcelona podcast 75 starts right here. And to help join that community, also just check the show notes. We've got a lot of goodies down there and ways to connect with us, including on Twitter, Instagram, and you could also help us out by becoming a Patreon. Well, I wasted enough time, Frances, time to get to that story of the day, La Gran Pagunta, and it's something that not only have we been talking about this season, but basically dating all the way back to 2006, 
and 2007, we could be talking about the over-dependence that Barcelona tend to have on Lionel Messi. And Frances, the, the one thing I want to start by saying is then I'll give it right back to you, is that when you have a player of Lionel Messi's talents, both as a creator on the field, as a goal scorer on the field, with his passing, with his dribbling, with his vision, with his goal scoring, when you have someone that can do all of those things, why not build a team around him? I, I just, I don't see that that messy over-dependence, if you will, is a problem because it's not over-dependence. It's merely being dependent on one of the most important players and more, and more importantly, one of the most influential players ever to be on a field. Absolutely, and and that is one of the keys from the question today is that having a player such as LeBron James with the Cavaliers or you know Steph Curry before Kevin Durant joined, it's they're players that can lead a franchise. They're players that in Barca's team, in Barca's case, can lead a team to obviously countless titles as he has been doing for the last 13, 15 years. Um, I think it's totally right to build a team around him. I think it's totally right to give him the responsibility to lead his teammates forward and to always overcome difficulties by leading by example. But that's not to say that the others shouldn't step up themselves. You know, in the game against Sevilla over the weekend, we did see around 57, I think it was, minutes of a Messi-less Barca and they just weren't with it. There were players that at individual um, level were not performing. Um, Paulinho had one of his worst showings ever. Sergio Roberto was not that great either. But there were others, you know, generally Barca could not break the opponents. And, you know, you've got to give Sevilla total credit for pushing in the way they did against the unbeaten Barca. But, you know, until Messi came on, we did not really prove anything. We didn't show that we're leading La Liga in that convincing manner because we were missing a leader and that really affected us. I'm not going to put too much stock, though, in that game against Sevilla because going into it, not only did you not have Messi starting, but you didn't have Busquets for that game either. And as we've sang his praises before, he's so important to the way that Barcelona are playing this year in that double pivot with Rakitic. And, and that said, speaking of Rakitic, again, people like to try to attack him after the international break when he was all the way in the U.S. being on a plane for that long and that amount of time can wear on a player. And so Barcelona did look flat. They looked like they had just returned from playing in the international break. And that's exactly the kind of performance you got. The fact that they got the one point out of that for the draw, I say is a miraculous thing in itself. But instead of focusing on that, I want to go back to the fact that this version of Barcelona under Ernesto Valverde is no different and no more dependent on Messi than the other iterations and some of the other Champions League winning iterations under Pep Guardiola and Luis Enrique, because those teams were just as built around Messi, just in different ways and also putting the emphasis on different things stylistically. Of course, you when you think of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona and the pressure that they brought, that pressure was a little higher up the field in the way that you saw Barcelona without Messi against Sevilla, sitting back a little bit farther and being deeper in their own half. But that said, when you have those complementary pieces on attack, and I'll get to midfield in a second, but when you have guys like Terry Henry and David Villa throughout the years, who for their respective clubs of Arsenal and Valencia before they came to Barcelona, were playing out of this world. They were the focal points of their team. And yet those selfless superstars were able to put their egos in check and take a step back and get out of the spaces 
that not only did they operate for their teams, but because Messi operates in those spaces for Barcelona, they vacated those areas. And that's why David Villa, who's Spain's greatest striker ever for the national team, helped win them two Euro championships and a World Cup. He moves out to the wing and takes a subsidiary role because of how important Messi is. And that doesn't mean that Villa is dependent upon Messi back then, but that was the mere fact of getting the best out of Barcelona is to surround yourself and allow Messi to operate in his best spots. And I'll let you respond to the attackers before I break down kind of the midfield. But what do you think in regards to having those other talents around him in ways that while we hated Neymar in a sense of of the way he might have acted at times, Neymar fit with Messi. As terrible as that sounded, out on the wing, he wasn't getting in the same places that Messi were. And once they learned how to play together, that's why they're one of the greatest attacking trios ever to play with Luis Suarez, because they were all working in sync in that manner. Of course, of course. But at the same time, you need to realize the players that were around them. Like when the example of David Villa is a really valid one, of course, you could argue that Luis Suarez is in the in the same category. Obviously, they're completely different players, but you know they're strikers who, in a way, adapted their game to move slightly towards the left. Actually, in both cases, in order to be influential and then eventually pop into the central striker position, um, sort of dancing around, floating around, trying to find the gaps around wherever Messi runs into. But the key here is that behind Villa, there were plenty of um, very influential midfielders attacking midfielders at their peak. Obviously, you had Xavi, but you had Iniesta as well. And and what he added was was tremendous. Obviously, Pedro in the other wing also was always doing a job. He could be defensive whenever it's needed. But the thing is, with his runs, he always generated spaces for other people. And that is key. I don't think Dembélé said that, you know, well, as much as we love Dembélé and, and we expected to fulfill his, his potential, he's just not at that category yet. You know, I think what, what Dembélé has been adding this season... Um, has been a lot of injuries and once he's become better he's still trying to find his feet and, and he's miles away so in terms of the team being over relying on Messi it's, it's, I'm talking from an attacking perspective but also from a generation of game from a generation of um, goal scoring position generation of, of flow and I think it's a supporting crew that are not really supporting Messi that much um, in the last, I would say, couple of weeks or three. And that is why his absences, you know, and they have to happen. But that's why his absences have been noticed more whenever he hasn't been playing. Yeah, and certainly uh, midfield personnel, I, I think, somehow is more important than what's around him in the attack. Because I think the question really should be reshaped as not even who is in the midfield that's supporting Messi or not supporting Messi but rather, when are they in the midfield? I think that's the personnel decisions that Valverde has had to make this season. And for me, there's always a time for Iniesta and Busquets in any situation against any opponent. It's not situational. They have the quality to always be there. And I would throw Rakitic this season in there as well. As I said, I'm going to give him a pass because of his travels on the international break. But Rakitic has just been really important to Valverde's Barcelona and has had very few bad performances this season. But basically, since January, there's been a time and a place for Paulinho, and again against Sevilla, that game wasn't it. But that said, Denis Suarez is not yet the second coming of Iniesta, but he did work wonderfully off the bench against Sevilla and does deserve a bit of the credit for the comeback. But I, we can't say that Valverde got his choices wrong because it was careless, or would have been careless, should I say, to start Messi due to his injury. And the fact he came in at all is necessary for the result, but 
fortunate for Barca that he didn't exacerbate the injury. And of course, Busquets is out of the lineup, so you don't see him with a Champions League match coming up midweek, which is so much more important than this match against Sevilla. And then Denise, who was also just coming back from injury after going months out of favor, it wouldn't have made sense for a start with him either, just based on his fitness level. So then that leaves the choices as that fourth midfielder, which we had a big show on even now a few weeks ago. That leaves Vidal or Paulinho as that fourth midfielder starting in that game yesterday. And the Brazilian, on paper at least, fit Valverde's game plan against a Sevilla side that you knew was going to attack, attack, attack in the way that they did. And the fact that Sevilla scored the two goals, it could have been more, true. But Paulinho offensively, you're right, offered absolutely nothing. But the question is, if Vidal didn't offer anything going forward either, what was Vidal going to offer defensively that Paulinho wasn't offering? And to that point, that's why Arthur, coming over from Gremio, is already on his way to the club and more midfield options could be on their way. I think it comes down to a depth of personnel in the midfield because, again, under the days of Pep Guardiola, when the team quote-unquote, wasn't Messi dependent, you had Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets starting every single match with Seydou Keita, or the unfortunate comparison that poor Rakitic has gotten is that, yes, Rakitic can also come in and has been starting now every match as well. Unfortunately, he's been playing in that Xavi role or in that second midfield role more than, you'd say, Seydou Keita, who played as that substitute for Busquets. But nevertheless, that's why I think in midfield, personnel is becoming so much more important because a Paulinho does totally different things. I totally get that. Um, you've made several points in there. I'm just going to break a couple down. Uh, first, the fact that this morning after the game, I tweeted um, and published in our Facebook page about do people believe that Messi should have been benched? And the response has been overwhelming. Over 80% of our Barca blog and the Barcelona podcast community agree that it was right to leave Messi on the bench. So that point being made, then, is what the difference is. I mean, you've covered the midfield, so I'm not really going to sort of repeat what you just said. The last point I want to make is the effectiveness of the fullbacks. Um, because Sevilla were at home and they played to basically please their crowd and they tried to bring the game to us, which, you know, let's face it, not every single team do against us. Um, that was difficult for us. They were pressing a, a build-up play, so they were pressing from Umtiti, but definitely Piqué, and that didn't enable Sergio Roberto or Jordi Alba as much freedom moving forward as they wanted because we didn't have enough possession, and that probably goes back to the absence of Busquets, as you made reference to. Um, both Roberto and Jordi Alba had to cover up um, their backs in case they lost possession and they had to go back and, and defend as a result. Obviously, that meant that they weren't pushing forward as, as happily and as confidently as usual. Um, that gave us far less depth on the right side. But then again, with Dembélé, you could have wanted that because, you know, Roberto can associate with Dembélé and Dembélé can be the incisive one moving forward, which is not a problem. It just didn't really happen as such. But on the left flank, with Luis Suarez drifting towards the center and Coutinho, to be honest, he prefers to do that as well. I mean, he can go into the left and, and run the byline, but his game seems to be, in a way, similar to Messi. And, you know, that seems like a sacrilege to say. But um, Coutinho tends to associate drifting towards the middle and uh, having little tiny one-twos, normally drifting towards his preferred right foot and then trying to get that long-range shot, which, in a way, pretty much every time curves towards the far post. Um, so that, that being said... 
Jordi Alba should have had the space to move forward to, but he wasn't as confident doing it. He wasn't as frequent doing it simply because Sevilla had a fantastic game. And the last point I want to make, it's sort of a more overall opinion on the Sevilla game, is the fact that Barca lacked a lot of fitness. And you can argue, of course, it's been the FIFA break and 70 to 80% of our internationals actually were traveling around the world. Some of them, as you mentioned, went all the way to America, but all over Europe, etc. But Sevilla have internationals too. And of course, there wouldn't be that many, but a good 40 to 50% of the squad haven't really been training. So in a way, you can't not really make excuses. Um, of course, it was just one game and we didn't lose it. But in a way, that's based on what we're asking is the over-reliance of Messi and the fact that Messi can solve a championship, can solve a game, can solve anything he resolves himself to do whenever he's needed. But it is important to know and it is important to remember that at this stage of the season is the final third. The here, from here onwards is when the crucial matches do happen. We've got really important match in three, four days in, against Roma. And then after that, it just doesn't stop. Hopefully we qualify and we've got semi-finals and final for the Champions League as well. It is not a time in the season to feel tiredness. And that all goes back to rotation or lack of, because, you know, you've got Piquet, He's been nursing an injury for God knows how many weeks now. Um, Iniesta has been in and out of the team, but then again, he goes with Spain international duty and continues to play pretty much every second of every game. And I'm just a bit concerned that we don't look that fresh. Obviously, it's a FIFA break and you can sort of have a bit of leeway in that respect. But I think the three days left from the time of recording until the Roma game are crucial in order to recover those fresh legs so we can actually not struggle and qualify to the next round of the Champions League. And the final point I want to pose to you as we kind of wrap up this discussion, I did see a comment that Barca, somebody called Barcelona Atletico Madrid without Messi, but I don't think I'm sold on that completely. And if that were true in terms of results, that'd be fine, right? A Messi-less Barcelona would be second in the table, still ahead of Real Madrid. And I think the issue there comes though with the way and why we love Barcelona so much. We're offended that Barcelona aren't playing Again, I, I will say it the Cruyff way and the Barcelona way. And because they're not playing like that, and yes, maybe they do look more like Atletico Madrid than Messi, the results really do take a back seat to the way that we want to watch the team. I think the important point here is that we've got Lionel Andres Messi, best footballer ever, and we need to make the most of him. And we are, you know, as you mentioned at the very start, Guardiola. Uh, Luis Enrique and now Valverde have done all they could in order to maximize his, maximize his potential. If he wasn't doing that, or the coaches that I just mentioned weren't doing that, then we were doing, we would be making Messi a huge disservice and not maximizing everything he's got to offer. So in a way, the team being dependent on Messi is a good thing. Obviously, not, not forgetting that everyone else needs to step up and earn their wages, to be honest. Yeah, that sounds like we're both saying that our, it, to answer the question, is Barcelona over-dependent on Messi? The answer probably is yes, but our other point is kind of who cares? It, it, they should be with how good Messi is. Agreed. Yeah, so I think that's where we stand on that. And as we shift the show in direction, before Deanna Christine comes on, I'm just going to give you a quick update on Barcelona B. They lost 3-1 to Sevilla Atletico. Of course, Sevilla's B team with a goal by Vitinho coming off the bench, the young Brazilian midfielder. Not a good result on the road, but they still remain four points clear of the drop due to the struggles of those in the relegation zone. So again, a result that's not so favorable. They're not playing very well, but they might be able to limp their way to the finish line if, the, if those four in the relegation zone continue to struggle in the way they did. Moving on. 
Natasha Andonova, who of course you can hear on this very show on the last episode, 74 of the Barcelona podcast. Even though she didn't play against Tenerife, the Barcelona Femini still won 3-1, to one, two goals from Patri Gijaro and an own goal for Tenerife. Unfortunately, Atletico also picked up the three points, and so the table stayed stagnant. And we'll actually keep talking about the Barcelona Femini as it's our first question in La Ronda de Preguntas as we now welcome back to the show for now the third time, I believe, Deanna Christine. Thanks for joining the show, Deanna. It's my pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure. And we'll start again, still talking about the Barcelona Femini in La Ronda from Naveen. Do you think there is still a chance for the Barcelona Femini to win La Liga? And of course, that means being overtaking Atletico Madrid, only a few matches left and just one point behind. Uh, I don't know exactly. I mean, it's always very tricky because they're the best teams in the league and they win basically all of their, their games. And even a draw is a rare accident. So they had their chance. Uh, when uh, Atleti drew but they also drew so they lost that chance so I don't know maybe Atleti will draw or even lose another game I don't know but it's it usually I mean last season was similar to this one and it went down to the wire and Atleti just didn't drop any points so hopefully that changes this time around yeah hopefully all right moving on Chris asked could they realistically stop the Copa del Rey final if Kule's whistled the Spanish national anthem, or is that an empty threat? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Tebas is kind of insane and a fascist, and I don't mean that just in a, you know, figure sense. I mean it in a literal sense. He was a member of the fascist youth or something. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't think he'll actually do it. I mean, he's more often more bark than bite but you never know i I think it's an empty thread um as diana has referred to he's more words than actually actions Um, you cannot physically stop just because people are expressing their views in a free way i mean obviously if you're spanish and you feel the anthem as something that is sort of within your veins that's going to alarm you but you know it's freedom of expression and unless they disrespect something that is specified in the law, then the match has to continue. Yeah, I agree with you, Frances, certainly. And and to Deanna's points as well, Ray asks, do we need a break for a few players? A team with Coutinho, Iniesta, Suarez, and Nibele not playing without Messi, this is pretty worrisome. It wasn't just about Messi, though, was it? It was more, I mean, the lack of control we had and the lack of balance we had and the fact that Sevilla just cut through our midfield like a hot butter through knife, that, to me, that's more because of Busquets' absence than because of Messi. He usually is there. I mean, the thing that was that is characteristic to this Barca team is the fact that they will not lose the game uh, for a long enough time for Messi to win it. So they have the balance to stay in the game and to not allow the opposition to score. And in the end, basically, Messi wins it or he does something and another player scores or, you know, something. Messi. <laughs> and this time it didn't work that way. And we managed to salvage one of the most undeserved points ever. I think it wasn't about uh, 
messy at, as much as it was about the skets and about, I don't know, maybe everyone was tired after the international break. I mean, Rakitic had to play the defensive midfield role and he had just traveled to the U.S. and played two full games almost with Croatia. So, I don't know. Totally agree with you, Diana. So, with that in mind, if Busquets is not fully recovered, say he's 85 to 90% recovered for the game against Roma, would you start him or not? If he's not 100%, although I think he will be, I wouldn't start him because I think that we should be able to handle Roma with the midfield we have. I mean, if we stop, stop starting Paulinho, I think that things will work out. I mean, basically, I'd take almost anyone above him right now. I mean, he is a good player and he is good for certain things, like when you know, have to score a late goal or have runners into the box or something. But he cannot, and I, I mean, we knew this from the summer, he cannot play midfield for Barcelona. I mean, as a central midfielder or whatever. It's just, it doesn't work. It's been getting worse and worse throughout the season and it's just unsustainable at this point. Yeah, he's a polarizing character, isn't he? I mean, he's clearly not your ordinary Barca player and the fact that he's been playing continuous football for well over a year now, because, you know, we can't forget that he was midway through the season when he joined us in the summer. Um, it's really evident that he's run out of fuel. And yeah, there probably are other alternatives we need to be looking at. Fully agree with you. Yeah, and Francesca, as we talked about in La Gran Pregunta, that with the arrival of Arthur over the summer, and again, with Barcelona potentially continuing to dip into the transfer window, I, I think that the answer moving forward is plain to see that it might not be Paulinho, but Paulinho is certainly going to need to be some kind of solution as we continue to move forward this season. But speaking of another option in the midfield, we've got two questions, one from Shaban and one from Watson Kai about Denis Suarez asking, I thought Denise Suarez, just with his little cameo the other day against Sevilla, deserves more playing time. And Shaban says, believes he has a great quality, but just needs minutes to prove it. Do you think Barca will give him another opportunity, maybe not even this season, but next season? And then KK40 on Twitter asks, I read about Denise Suarez wanting to fight for his place in the squad. And those were comments that Denise Suarez came out with today, that he wants to continue to fight, even though he doesn't worry about the matches, that he wasn't even selected to the match day squad. How true is it that Denise Suarez has a future at the club? And I'd say over the course of a season, you never really know. I mean, the stock of a player like Polino has been pretty much consistent with Valverde putting his trust in him. But the the faith in Paco Alcacer is a good, better example, probably, where he was out of the squad completely, comes back in the squad, gets hurt. And now coming back from injury, he's been used basically as a substitute as he was all the way back in the beginning of the season. So the hills and valleys of personnel, the way Valverde uses them, Denise Suarez might, with Paulinho's form dipping, be having his his renaissance, if you will, this season. And so we might be seeing more of Denise Suarez down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, Denise Suarez is a complicated subject for me because I'm not a part of his ever-expanding fan base. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just... He's, a, he's an all-right player. I have absolutely nothing against him. But... The thing is that every time he does literally anything okay, people start shouting about him deserving more minutes. And okay, sure, I mean, he could, as I said, I would take anyone over Paulinho right now, so I'm fine with that. But the thing is that there are so many games in which he has played or started, or I mean, not so many, but enough, 
that I literally forgot he was on the pitch. I mean, this is my problem with him. I feel like he has, he's a nice player. He has decent qualities and stuff. But I just, if I forget he's there, how can I think that we need him or he deserves more minutes? Well, I'm, That's my position. So no, I totally get that, Diana. I'm, I'm with you as well. I mean, he's got, he's got 19 appearances this year already and you couldn't really pinpoint one game in which he's made more of a difference than he did on Saturday, which is a positive. You know, we want every player to excel. We want every player to do well. But I think the sample size of 20 to 25 minutes, um, which coincided with the eruption of Messi from the bench, is a very small sample size for us to, to make any judgments. I do expect him to get more playing time over the back on that, but I wouldn't be thinking this is the second coming of Lionel Messi reincarnated into a midfielder. Never, definitely not. Yeah, I mean, I I get what people like about him. I just think that there's a hype around him that I can't really see what is based on. Yeah, I think that's the point you're both making, that he may have a, a few technical qualities that people like that they relate to what you call that unspoken Barcelona DNA. But when it comes to him as a player this season and his role on the team and answering that question, really getting to the core of it of whether or not he would be the starter instead of Paulinho and, or Alex Vidal against Roma if Busquets wasn't in the lineup and, again, depending on personnel. But when we talk about that fourth midfielder, Denis Suarez is never going to be that starting fourth midfielder. And as Frances said, if we can get the best out of him off the bench, that would be his role. And we would want him to succeed in 15, 20-minute spurts off the bench and help the club in that manner. But as you said, Deanna, the the point really is that Denis Suarez is not or should not be considered as a replacement for Iniesta when he finally goes off to greener pastures. Can can I add in there as well, Dan? Um, He was tremendous when he played for Sevilla and Villarreal before joining us. So a year and a half after joining us, he really should have been making more of a step forward that he really hasn't. Now, if, if he's going to start sort of reaching his peak and fulfilling his potential now, then I'll be the first sort of celebrating, um, jumping on the tables, etc. But I just haven't seen it yet. And I hope that we are being far too pessimistic and we're proven wrong in the near future. I hope I'm wrong too. There's literally no Barca player that I don't want to succeed. I mean, success for any of them means they're playing better for the club and thus the club wins more. So I want them all to do well. I just can't be, you know, blindly optimistic about it. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, we've got a few questions about the defense, basically for the rest of La Ronda. First, E-Class13 on Twitter asks a pretty good one. What is Valverde's plan for the left back since Dinier is injured and if something happens to Alba that he can't play in a match? He hasn't ever called a Barca B player outside of the Copa del Rey. Does he plan, you'd think, to use Vermillion at left back or Umtiti as the left back or go with a back three? Maybe he plans on using Sergio Roberto. He's played there before, I think. Also doing a lot of finger crossing and praying to whoever you believe you need to pray to in order to ensure that Jordi Alba does never get injured. Um, Backup should be Cucurella, but as you said, you know, that hasn't really been the case this season. Uh, Fermalen will be out of position. I don't know if going up and down the flank is something Fermalen can still do uh, without suffering any further injuries. So no, no, let's hope that Um, Jordi Alba has really good breakfast every single day and he remains healthy. It's only like three weeks or something. So it's not like Dinia is out for the rest of the season. By the time the Copa del Rey final is played, he might actually be back. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And speaking of backups, do you think Valverde should start Sillison? And there are calls that, of course, and, and it seems to be a little overreactive. Roman asks, Ter Stegen didn't look himself. He didn't look like he had his normal cat-like reflexes against Sevilla. But for me, again, Ter Stegen's whole body of work, and yes, he didn't look sharp with Germany against Spain. He didn't look sharp against Sevilla, but that was also a byproduct of the way Sevilla were playing. And you'd have to say that Pique and Umtiti didn't look their absolute best either. And I'd expect that all three of them rebound moving forward, particularly already against Roma. Yeah, we're talking about a player that has conceded 15 goals all season, and I say 15, including the two against Sevilla. So, what the hell? I mean, really, this seems absurd. So, yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, in Copa del Rey, I think Silesen is the one that should be playing because that's a competition he's been trusted with. And if you think back a couple of years when Bravo was with us, um, Ter Stegen was playing that competition and that's the one that allowed Ter Stegen to shine and obviously um, eventually establish himself as a starting goalkeeper for La Liga as well. But I think it is fair that Silesen plays in La Copa, but every other match, there is absolutely zero reason to change Ter Stegen. And what about PK? And of course, PK, we expect him to be starting. And I think the three of us would all agree that he will start not only against Roma, but probably every other match that he can this season. But that said, playing with that knee injury not being 100%, Octavio says, is the player forcing and lying about his symptoms potentially, or is Valverde forcing him because he doesn't put trust in Vermillion or Mina? And I don't know, could it be both of these things that PK is not being completely honest? But that's the hard thing where you can see in that match, even against Germany with Spain, that he's constantly touching that knee and, and, and fiddling with it, and there clearly is something amiss. But as I said on our last show, and maybe you'll agree with this, Deanna, that maybe it's one of those injuries that, unlike Messi and Dembele with their muscle injuries, is this the kind of thing with the knee injury where doctors have said, you're probably not going to hurt it worse than it already is, and if you can play through the pain, then we'll just worry about some long-term layoff over the summer, after the World Cup, I guess. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking too. I'm thinking that it's a it's something that will only be resolved through massive rest. And since we're playing every three days, maybe I don't know. Maybe he'll get one game off or something. But I don't think that he's hurting his, himself more. I mean, that would be really irresponsible from him and the entire te- technical staff. So I think that is just like a persistent pain that. He will play with for the rest of the season and then he'll rest in the summer and that will be it. I do agree with that. Um, If I was him, I would have stopped three weeks ago because this has been going since the Espanol game, which I believe must have been six or seven weeks ago now. Um, I would have sort of tried it for a couple of games and then then rested then. Um, As Diana said, there is a single game every three days coming up for the next, I think it's three weeks. And... We need Piquet for all of them now. So if he hasn't stopped before, especially during the international break, which was the ideal opportunity, then I really don't see the point where he should stop now. And, you know, a bit of an aside there, with all the jeering and all the complaining that Spain fans do, how much has Piquet given to the national team, even in in friendlies? Words really do scare me about the behaviour of some people um, towards Piquet, a player that has always given everything for, obviously, the Barca colours, but also the Spain colours playing from the under... 17th all the way up to the national team and actually making a difference um, it really baffles me if it was me to be honest I would have stopped playing for Spain uh, several years ago when all of this nonsense started but you know credit to him for being an ultimate professional much more than I would have been I think that the 
thing for him with the national team is, uh, I mean, it obviously started when he took on Madrid and said that thing about Kevin Roldan because most of, you know, Spain thinks that if you hurt Madrid, you basically hurt the national team because there's a weird association between them. So, yeah. And I think that uh, he will stop playing um, on his own terms and he will not be driven out by the ones who jeer him. And if he actually manages to win a second World Cup with them and then just ride out into the sunset and retire from international football, that would be just ideal. Yeah, and that, that's what makes Piquet so much better than me in so many ways. Yeah, he has the strength of his own convictions and he will live on his own terms. And for him, you have to imagine the fact that, as you said, he's been playing with the national teams and he's been going to the national team since he was a teenager. So he has a certain relationship, if not to the concept of playing for Spain, then to the people around the national team, to the group, to the you know, to everything around it like as a human connection more than what it represents. So he feel, he maybe feels an obligation towards that and towards finishing the cycle. And with that, I'd also have some recommended reading. We had mentioned it again two shows ago, but PK recently had a piece in the Players' Tribune, uh, and that's across Spanish, Catalan, English, whatever language that you'd like to read it in. And it was a pretty good piece about, you know, the time, his career, basically his club career, but also about some of the decisions he's made in terms of when he's chosen to keep playing and what has motivated him to continue in all the different competitions and in the ways that he has worked as a professional. But that pretty much wraps it up for another edition of La Ronda de Preguntas. Thank you again to Deanna for joining Frances and I on our episode 75 of the Barcelona podcast. And again, we remind you that if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. And if you've already subscribed, just share it with just one person, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, a cousin, no matter who it is, just have one person be told about the Barcelona podcast so we can help continue the Barcelona podcast community growing. So again, that'll wrap it up for another edition of the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca. Bye till next time. Forza. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price nine ninety nine ninety nine. 0% APR while supplies last. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, 
you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.